talk about. So I'm here with John, uh, the Manimal, and I'm going to try it. Benaducci? Oh, that was good. Benaducci, you got it. Benaducci. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and for, for those of you guys who don't know, just a quick background, John is a uh, MMA fighter, jiu-jitsu black belt, um, a, a physical fitness, um, just wealth of knowledge. And so the way I found out about John was through his Instagram, The Manimal. Um, and what I was drawn to me at first was the just the awesome training that you were putting out first off john you put out a lot of stuff for free which is awesome uh, a lot of really good information which i really appreciate and i know other people do too and um what drew me to you was just what i call old school training which is what i love which is just minimalist like just great training nothing fancy nothing expensive just awesome really good information really good training hard training uh, and so that's what I first saw. And then while I was watching these videos and kind of learning more about you, I keep seeing these references to the old gods and maybe it was like Odin and some other stuff. And so I was like, okay, this has got more interesting. Uh, now I need to pay attention a little bit more. And so, um, that was way before I ever started this podcast, anything like that. But, um, down the line, as I was putting the podcast together, coming up with a list of people I'd love to have on the show. I mean, your name was right there up at the top because um, there's not a lot of information out there, like not a lot of t uh, athletes and things that I've come across at least espousing the, the old gods and Odin and Thor and stuff like that. So um, right away, I was like, okay, we got to get this guy on. And I appreciate it. I do, I do follow the the Norse pagan way very closely. That you, So let me take it back an inch. As far as spirituality goes, there's a lot of ways to get to pretty much the same point. If you look at most religions, there's a lot of things that all religions do in common. The power of prayer, how you use your energy, not being a super asshole. So a lot of religions have very similar uh, ways to get to a certain path. I follow the Odinic path very closely. I was called to it from a young age, as far as I can remember, uh, since I was like a preteen even. I remember being very drawn to that warrior Viking ethos, even before I ever started training. It just always seemed so badass. And the more I got involved with that spiritual path, the more it made sense to me. And I've really grown in my own piety right, the act of being pious, piety, the act of following your religion. So I have a few core values very closely associated with my religion. One's congruency. So for me, spirituality, I have to practice what I preach. So if I say I worship all these badass gods of war, well, every action I take has to honor those gods. Uh, you, I would never want to be like the Christian who's like, you know, don't, you know, bang outside of marriage and then get some side piece pregnant. Odin's fine with that shit. So, <laughs> so, you know, you want to be congruent to the religion that you practice. And for me, fighting and training is my spiritual practice or a main part of it. You know, I do a lot of rituals. I mean, I have my altar set up in my, can you see, I got my altar set up over here. So, I mean, there's a lot of ritual practices, but training is very ritualistic if you think about it. Do you do jujitsu? I do. 
Yeah, so I bow when I go on the mat, right? You slap, bump hands. There's a lot of ritual involved in it. Uh, just the way you touch gloves before sparring, a warm-up routine. And then for me, actual fighting and competition, I mean, that's more of a sacrament. So you know how in Christianity you'll have a few sacraments like communion, confirmation, marriage. For me, fighting in the cage training for that fight, putting everything on the line there, that's like a sacrament. It's not so much like a professional endeavor for me as it is a real homage to my gods, right? I talk this bullshit and I have to back that up. Even like, um, you know, as far as spirituality goes and trying to just see what the universe wants you to do and what the gods want, it really took me on a whole journey up and down in life. And the last five years, I've really become even more spiritual than I ever have. Always honor the gods. Because uh, I was in a pretty low place. I've always been pious towards the gods. I have the runes all over my body. I've always venerated the gods, uh, especially Odin. I follow the Odinic path. A little different than maybe following a, uh, a god like Thor. He, requ he requires a little bit different approach. And uh, I had went through a pretty tough experience. I had a CrossFit gym for years. And everything there went wrong. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I found myself in a really low spot. And, you know, I really didn't want to go on anymore. And, you know, I had went bankrupt. I was homeless. And I just wanted to kill myself. And Odin stayed my hand. He was like, dude, he's like, am I the fucking god of warriors or the god of merchants? And I was like, all right. And then I went by the beach and I just opened myself up to the universe. I was like, I'll do, just tell me what you want me to do. I will do the things you want me to do. Just put me where you need me to be. And in the, in three years from closing my gym, I had two fights in Bellator. Uh, I lost one, but it was close and it was my fault. And then I wound up the culmination of my entire being. I fulfilled a lifelong dream. I won at Madison Square Garden which for a New Yorker is like really the pinnacle, right? I'm from New York. I'm a native New Yorker. Took me forever. I had hurt my shoulder. I didn't fight for a decade. So a decade I didn't fight. I just, you know, I, I, I had had my shoulder reconstructed twice. By the time it healed, I already was coaching more and I owned a gym. So it was like, all right, well, you can't really do both, especially not in New York where you got to hustle hard. And then after a decade... I found myself back at a higher level even than I was before, which is wild. And I remember in that first fight, I was at Mohegan Sun, and it had been a decade, and I was like, I'm in the woods, and I'm praying to the gods. I was like, Odin, I promise that I will be humble in victory. You know, I've had problems with my ego before. I was like, I'll, I'll be humble right, in victory. And Odin's like, Manimal, I know you. And I was like, no, no, I promise I'm going to be humble. And man, we get in the fight. I'm fighting this young kid. And I'd say the first 15 seconds, he breaks my elbow with a kick. But I don't notice it. But what I did was pick up his timing. And the second time he threw the kick, I picked it up. And I put him down. Now I'm on top of this guy, maybe 30 seconds in. And I'm elbowing him in the face. And I'm fucking cracking him. And I'm like, man, Manimal, you are so fucking good. And I'm telling myself this. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, you are so good. And you know what? That fight got away from me. It didn't work out. So, so then I went on a 
whole other journey trying to get another fight in. And it really became, you know, a real forging of my spiritual metal. To the how long it took, it took almost 20 months from fighting the first one back to then making it to the garden and a bunch of twists and turns to get there. Uh, and really a long haul to make sure that I was serious. You know, I wasn't just doing it for glory. I was doing it for the pure joy of combat, which I, I did. I mean, I came, when I came out and I raised Mjolnir to the sky and I called out to Odin at the garden in front of 20,000 people and however many were watching, that was a real, you know, prayer to the gods. People are like, oh, it looks like Marvel. I'm like, no, I'm, I follow the old ways. That was as real as it gets as far as what I was trying to do there. And then That's after... That's got to be just an incredible feeling. What did that feel like to, to raise the hammer in front of that many people going crazy in such a, like you said, such a special place like the garden? And I had to get it in then. Thank the gods because I wouldn't be able to fight there now. The gods put me right there where I needed to be when I needed to be there. So very, uh, everything made sense once that happened. I was like, once everything came together, I was like, oh, everything I went through made perfect sense. I couldn't have got here. If, if everything didn't happen that way. Because if I didn't hurt my shoulder, I would have kept fighting that whole time, those 10 years, and I would have probably retired in like 2013. I turned pro in 2003. Yeah. You know, 10-year career, that's good for a fighter. Uh, all the guys that I started training with all retired 2013, 2014, right? Would have never made it. They didn't legalize MMA in New York till 2016. So I would have never got to do that if life didn't take me out for a little bit and then put me back in and thank the gods that they put me in at such a high level again crazy to me even thinking it i wouldn't believe the shit if it wasn't me you know i mean fighting at bellator the second biggest show in the biggest stadium the most pressure uh in my hometown with you know everyone there everything on the line it really it all came together perfect and i had a great fight where i got to show the jujitsu skills i've been working on my entire life I love jujitsu. That's my, my first love as far as martial arts. But I love all the martial arts. I love training weapons, fighting. And uh, yeah, the feeling there when I raised the hammer, it just felt right. I really felt actually... Uh, so Odin ha has a son, Vidar. I really felt his energy actually when I called out to Odin. I almost felt like Vidar. And I've always taken that with me after that. Vidar is uh, the god that kills Fenris... He's the avenging god. He avenges Odin's uh, death at Ragnarok. So, I don't know why I felt that energy very strongly. Because anyone that Vidar pins cannot escape. And I just felt that real strong. I felt so fucking strong in that fight. I And the guy I fought was super strong. But I don't know. It was just... Don't get me wrong. My technique was beautiful. I had great technique. But just physical strength. I just felt so fucking yoked. I don't know. I can't explain it any other way. And when I won, and then... It's funny, Ray Longo afterwards, I don't know if you're familiar with the team I'm from, I train at Laura MMA, my head coach is Ray Longo, and he was trying to say something really, you know, uh, sweet afterwards, a real heart-to-heart -heart in the cage, and my other cornerman hands me the hammer, and that was that, I fucking call out like, oh, no, <laughs> and that was it, I was like, and every time I watched that after, I was like, oh, man, Ray was going to have a really, like, heart-to-heart -heart conversation because remember I also was 39 
you know, yeah. I'm 41 now. So who the fuck fights that old? And I fight at 145. So none of it makes sense. So I love it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's a great, great story. And that just goes to show, like, you're you're familiar with the um, have you you're familiar with the term the dark night of the soul? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I've been there, know, that, and that's another one of those things that's it's in a lot of religions, but um, you know, you you have to almost it's almost necessary to go through that that time of being down, questioning um, yourself and your path, and in order to find that real kernel, that real piece of strength that you need that's going to serve you later on in the big when the big moment comes. Right. I mean, oh yeah, all that... those other things just help to temper the blade. You know, I mean, I made this knife recently. You know, and it's from a railroad spike. All right, so this is what it starts out like, and this is what it winds up like. So, to go from this to that is a lot of beating the shit out of the metal, heating it up beyond the point of structural integrity. So there's a lot of metaphor that happens in the in the making of the blade. That's why for um, Norse pagans, blacksmiths were actually like their magicians. Because you could have magic swords, right? That guy would enchant your weapon. He would know the runes. So there's something very spiritual about the practice of taking a hunk of metal, turning it into a polished blade, similar to taking this raw material that we have here and turning it into a fine edge of a warrior. So, for me, being able to go through what you say, that dark night of the soul, and not die, definitely feels good. And once I just kind of uh, opened myself up to the universe, everything started to make sense. Uh, now, everything, even uh, one of my private clients asked me, he was like, how nervous were you walking out at the garden? I was like, the truth I was like, Odin decides the victory, not me. You know, I was like, Odin will decide the victory. Odin's the god of war, right? He, so the myth is he throws his spear over the the party that he wants to take in battle. So I ask him, you know, please throw your spear over my opponent so I can claim him in battle. And it's not up to me. I just go do my job. I just go do what I'm supposed to do. The fight itself is the sacrament. Thank the gods. I'm very thankful, very grateful. And that's really the sole essence of piety to me. Gratitude. And I think you hear this echoed a lot, that being grateful is one of like the key values of people that seem to be happy, that they're just grateful. And I'm pretty grateful, you know, for everything, even though I'm going through a little tough time uh, right now uh, with some stuff. But, you know, I'm so pretty psyched. I love adventure. So when I see things getting fucked up, I'm like, oh, yes, now is a good time. Because there's a lot of opportunity and chaos. And, you know, when I had my gym, everything that happened, I just was like, I wasn't great. I was very fucking ungrateful. I had a big ego and I was very ungrateful. And uh, and it showed. And there was a lot of mistakes I made that when I look at it now, I'm like, dude, your ego is out of control. You had the busiest gym in Queens. You weren't grateful about it. You were always bitching about it. So there's definitely something to be said for that. And now, you know, if there's a drop of water... I'm like, oh man, I might drown. Hold on. You know, the abundance of it. I'm like, oh man, drop of water. I'm good. So when I'm thinking about, you know, what it means to be pious, it's kind of just having an acceptance 
of doing my part 100%, which is all anyone really can do. I do my end. You know, I train hard as fuck for, for a fight. I, I cut my weight, make my weight like a pro, and then I go out and perform the best I can. Even the fight I, I came up short on, I mean, listen, that kid I took down had never been taken down. He's a wrestler his whole life, you know, up until that point. Uh, and uh, and I, I, you know, of course I would have liked to win that, but I wasn't supposed to. He needed to win that more. He, I don't know where his life would have been. He might have needed that victory more, and the gods gave it to him. But I needed this victory the second time, and the gods knew. Uh, and yeah, I always wonder that. What if I would have not uh, got cocky and finished that fight? Would I have got to fight at the Garden? Maybe not. I don't know. So everything worked out the perfect way. So when I look back at it, it all makes sense. But going through stuff, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. So let me ask you a quick question. So... We kind of top, covered uh, your religion as far as the, the Norse uh, pagan spirituality, but um, you mentioned you had some core tenets, one of them being congruence. And uh, if you don't mind sharing with us, what, what would be the other core tenets of your belief system that you... you Freedom is first. To? Freedom's first. So every decision I make, if it would limit my freedom, I don't do it. Right? O Odin's really the god of transformation. And you can't have a transformational experience without freedom. Otherwise, you're just going to be trapped. So Odin, his portfolio is... Uh, it's overly simplified to call Odin a god of war. Because he's a god of transformation. And transformational experiences. The reason he becomes a god of war and life and death is because those are the most transformational experiences. After a fight, no one's the same. It changes your trajectory. It's like two planets colliding. And when those two planets collide, one goes one way, one goes the other one, one might get destroyed. So no one's the same after a fight. Even if you go win in 20 seconds, you're not the same. There's a transformation that happens. Life, right? Uh, death, probably the biggest transformational experience, giving up all this, uh, you know, matter, all this physical, corporeal matter, in order to have a different type of existence, because we don't really know, even though I have my own uh, theories. They're only theories, right? Uh, even though I, I believe in a certain type of transformation of the soul also, it's only a belief, right? I, I can't actually narrow it down. But death could be the best thing ever. And we often fear it because to us it doesn't look the same. I'll use the metaphor of the railroad spike again. When I took this railroad spike, all the other railroad spikes around him they mourned the loss of this railroad spike. They said, you will never again be able to hold the track down. You'll never hold the track down. Not when you look like this. You ain't going to hold the track down when you look like that. And they all were sad that they lost, they lost their, their fellow railroad spike. But this knife is in many ways far superior and far more versatile than this railroad spike that only has one purpose. The edge of this blade very sharp can do a lot of different things uh and to me the much better product right than this railroad spike also much harder i hardened it i tempered that so but on a surface level to all the other railroad spikes they lost this dude poor guy he died and they mourned his loss and they wished that railroad spike was still there with them but they'd be short-sighted there just like humans very short-sighted that they see a death as the worst thing ever. And it hurts. I still cry about the people I've lost in my life. 
and uh, and that's part of my spiritual practice also, is uh, I have a battle board behind me, but my bottom line, my bottom line is I fight for everyone that can't. So all my boys that died, uh, and my dog Sashi, because she had the best warrior spirit of any uh, being, and all my boys that died, uh, I fight for them too. They can't fight. Right? They're dead. They can't fight in this corporeal world. However, one of my boys that I trained with for like 20 years, the week of my fight, so uh, usually you do your last sparring session uh, seven to ten days out. So it was eight days out from my fight, and I was doing my last sparring session. And uh, I'm taking a crap, and I'm, I'm looking through my phone, and I just see a picture of my friend James Gabbert. Uh, working the corner of someone is a picture of him in someone's corner and it just has a broken heart and I'm like fuck I closed my phone I put it away I was like all right I'm not even gonna read this I gotta spar it's my last hard sparring session I go I spar I finish my rounds as soon as I'm done boom and I, I pick up the phone and he fucking died and I'm like oh fuck shit I'm like what the fuck and uh it just really hurt I sat in the dressing room I'd say about 15, 20 minutes just crying. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, because we were close. You know, we had fought. So me and this kid, James, we had fought uh, together, not against each other, on the same team in, like, ring of combat back in the day. Like, when I had my first career, you know, he uh, he was fighting at the same time. And when I came back, I went to him and I was like, listen, you know, he's a guy my age. He had stopped fighting already. I was like, listen, I haven't trained in a while. I haven't sparred in five years. Keep an eye on me. He was like, all right. I sparred. I sucked. I got my nose broken the first fucking session. I was like, all right, listen, what do you think? He's like, it's not going to get worse. I was like, all right, you're right. He's like, listen, let's see. Let's do six months and see. And the guy always believed in me. Just, you know, had trouble believing in himself. And I took that one really hard. And uh, the day of my weigh-ins, so I cut 17 pounds in a day. I weigh in. In Manhattan, his weight was at night in the end of Long Island. So I drive an hour and a half out, go to the wake. My wife's like, John, you're fighting tomorrow. You really, we got to leave. Like, we're, it's like 1030 at night. We got an hour and a half drive back. I'm like, all right. We leave. I get to the garden, and I swear he's fucking coaching in the fight. And uh, I left. I was like, oh, you never like to travel. He never liked to travel. I was like, now free of your corporeal limit, you're here. And there was a code he used to like called Midwest. Midwest was our code word for when you're in the dude's guard, body, body, head. Body, body, head. We called that Midwest. And I swear to the gods, I heard him fucking screaming it at the garden. I mean, for me, fighting is a psychedelic experience, actually. Super psychedelic. Especially since I'm like a little older and very open to my feelings. I'm very self-aware. And I'm like, fuck, I'm having a whole psychedelic experience out there. Actually, if you watch the video of my fight, um, the whole fucking garden, not the whole garden, but let's say everyone I sold tickets to, and then a lot of people knew me that came for, from Henzo Gracie's gym because Neiman Gracie was fighting. So you had like a thousand people cheering Manimal. And I thought that was in my head. I was like, well, I'm fighting. I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, this is in my head. You know, I was like, all right, then I watched it. I was like, oh shit, that was real. I was like, okay. I was like, I thought that was part of my psychedelic experience. That was actually real. I was like, okay. I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. You know? And I swear from beyond the dead, 
you know, Gabbert was fucking coaching. It was it was very very interesting, and uh, you know, I br- I bring that there, and I you know, I fight for the dead. I work for them. I don't just uh, speak for the dead. I work for the dead, and a lot of things for me is a homage to the dead. If Odin is a god of death, also dealing with the dead is very important for me. So, doing the things the dead would want carried on. Like, uh, my wife's grandma, uh, just to make stuffed cabbage and, uh, I'm the best cook out of the bunch. And so I make it. And every time I make it, it's a homage. It's a, it's a sacrifice to the dead to show them that I'm still carrying that energy. And I don't know what's going to happen after my death, but it's not really up to me. You know, who carries it on after it's only up to me what I do to, for that honor. And, uh. I have another best friend that died when I was very young. We were 21. And uh, we were involved in some shit. I won't get into it. And uh, and he was an actor, my friend Eddie Scriven. And uh, he had died when we were 21. And he was an actor at Juilliard. You know, and his showmanship level was always through the roof. Even just walking through him. He's a dramatist, right? An actor at Juilliard. You know how hard it is to get in? He played King Richard. Right? Real... Uh, Awesome stage actor, dramatist. And whenever I go out on stage, well, I fucking channel him. When I show, that's what I'm showing. I'm, ch- I'm taking a little piece of that, you know, to, to honor him. And, you know, he wasn't a fighter, but showmanship all day. When I come out in the leopard print suit, that's all for him, really. You know, I mean, I love it too, don't get me wrong, because that's why we were bros. Because we loved that fucking over-the-top flamboyant showmanship and uh but i make sure that i take that with me i'm like oh wait we gotta we gotta do some showmanship here you know we we need to show up uh and then I, this is gonna sound weird but my dog sashi i had a shiba inu who lived to 16 and this bitch was a fucking savage she was like 30 pounds of ferocity never scared Always ready to kill. Great little hunting dog. We used to hunt a lot of small game together. And she just was super gangster. And when she died, I was like, she's so gangster. I want some of that gangster. Even though it seems weird because it's a dog. That was like my best buddy. You know, I don't know if you ever had a dog for like 16 years, but you kind of bond with them. Especially when they're a little killer. You know, (laughs) she was such a little killer. Ah! (laughs) Can't help it. She's just such a fucking savage. You know, and not, ob- this is going to sound funny, not super obedient, which I love. <laughs> I would be like, uh, lay down over here. She'd be like, mm, I'm going to lay down over here instead. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she had her own will. She almost had her own will. Because she could be like, yo, I don't need you. I'm like, yeah, you don't need me. But that's what makes it even better. My dog now, she's a little bitch. She's very obedient. She's a good dog. She's a dog. You know, my yeah. other one was like a little person. But whatever, that's a whole other story. That's not really spirituality at this point. But honoring the dead is part of my spirituality. Odin's also says he's the god of hanged men. So he is a god of the dead and the communication with the dead. Very often he'll go to burial mounds and speak with the spirits of the dead there. And go to the underworld and speak with the spirits of the dead there. So Odin can travel all the dimensions, right? Uh, and his horse as well, Sleipnir. Really, Sleipnir is a god, his horse. And can also travel through all the worlds. Um, 
and going to the land of the dead, very important. So there's a lot that that can tell you. Uh, there's also an aspect of following Odin that incorporates the Norse runes. Are you familiar with runes? Just, just the the name of them. I'm not familiar with specific ones or anything like that. What they stand for. So it's pretty easy to um, to give a quick history. So if we look at the runes, you'll notice something. What does that look like? What letter? F. Okay. What letter does that look like? T. Okay. And the middle one? I'd say H. Okay. Exactly. So the runes are from the Proto-Indo-European language. Every language in uh, Italy, Germany... Um, not Greek, the Greek alphabet's different, right? But all the places that have that alphabet is from the Proto-Indo-European language. We don't know who these people are. Probably a Stone Age people, we don't know. However, Odin claims that he brought the runes, of course. So Odin uh, has several sacrifices, and sacrifice is a big part of most religions, and especially of the Odinic path. Even for solstice, I'm going to fast three days. You know, fast Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, solstice. I'll do a big ritual for that. Actually, it's a great time of the year. Full moon tomorrow. And then I'll do a full moon ritual, three-day fast, and roll that into a ritual Tuesday, which is great. Because Tuesday is also for Tuesday. All our days of the week are named after the Norse gods. Two is the actual god of battle and justice. Wednesday, Woden's Day. Woden is the German version of Odin. So Woden's Day, Thor, easy Thor's Day. Uh, Friday is Frigga's Day. Monday would be the moon. Saturday actually is a different name. In Germanic, Saturday is Lorsdag. The Vikings uh, bathed once a week, usually on Saturday. So Lorsdag is bathing day. And once a week might sound like not a lot, but considering that the medieval Europeans at the time were bathing once every other month, if even, they were very clean. Because you would have to bathe once a week, but you could bathe more. So bathing once a week, actually, it, the Vikings are very cleanly. The number one item found in a Viking burial site is a comb. Which makes a lot of sense because you got a bunch of bearded dudes. I keep my comb with me close at all times. You know, a bunch of bearded dudes, you're always trying to look good here. You want to leave a good looking corpse, baby. Or you want to look good killing. So it's very important. Um, and... Let me get back to the runes. Sorry. So the runes of the Proto-Indo-European language, Odin claims to have found them in his first uh, sacrifice. So Odin, he finds the tree Yggdrasil, the world tree, very common in many religions. Uh, are you religious? Do you follow any so, particular path? Uh, I don't follow a particular path. I, I like to follow the Bruce Lee style of religion where I... I find things that resonate with me and kind of try to learn more about that. But, you know, part of the reason of starting this podcast was just to explore different things I'm not familiar with and try to just, you know, broaden my, my knowledge a bit in the different realms that I, I'm not as familiar with. Okay, so Odin uh, hangs himself on the world tree, Yggdrasil. And this world tree is common, a common motif in many religions. If you're a Jewish mystic in Kabbalah, Kabbalah, they have the tree of life, same thing, very different sephiroth on the tree. 
this tree in Drassel, uh, no man knows where off the roots run. So not just everywhere in our universe, but throughout the multiverse, does this tree in Drassel uh, spread its branches and its roots. And Odin makes a sacred sacrifice. He hangs himself upon Yggdrasil. He pierces himself with a spear and hangs there for nine days and nine nights. No bread, no food, no mead, nothing. Nine days, nine nights, he hangs himself from the tree. On the ninth night, he essentially has that shamanistic death. And when he dies, he sees the runes. Uh, there's 24 runes in the older Futhark, the younger Futhark, uh, older Futhark, younger Futhark 16, but Odin says he finds 18 runes. So I guess that would be like the armament rune system. So Odin says he finds 18 runes, and the runes are both a system for language, words being very powerful. The Christian religion says God created everything with a word, so words being very powerful. So this system of both writing reading but also a magical system 18 powerful charms protection success in battle love making healing even the power to bring back the dead so studying the runes becomes a very integral part of the odinic journey i'll just show you the ones on my chest you can see them these is a bind rune this is called there's several runes in here urus manus uh, so Wilo, this is a rune for wisdom. Then I have a rune for battle. And then I have uh, Odin's Ravens, Hugin and Munin, and the Valkana on my back. I don't know if you can see it, but I don't know how I am here, but that's Hugin, Munin. In the middle is the triangle knot, which is the knot of slain warriors. That means that any time Odin would like to take me, he can. Here I am. I I am, I call myself the son of Odin, but uh, yeah, whenever it's time, I'm fine. So I don't really worry about death that much. Uh, the day of your death has already been prescribed and no man may avoid it. That, Odin has a whole book of Proverbs. So how like the Christians have Proverbs. Odin has a book called the Havamal. And the Havamal is essentially a book of Proverbs. It's three parts, really. It's a book of Proverbs. Then it talks about uh, his sacrifices. And then it talks about the runes. So one of the things he says is that. It's like, the hour you do is set. No man can escape it. Long before you were born, did the three fates spread out the measure of your life. So when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. There's really not much you can do about it. Uh... And you'll see this play out. You'll see someone survive some horrific shit only to die, you know, from something else pretty close to it. Or someone will survive some horrific shit. It just wasn't their time. That would have killed another person. So I don't really worry about death that much. Um, so yeah, that symbol is Odin can take me whenever he wishes. And that was a promise I made after, after my first fight. And then I finished it after the garden. And Odin blessed me also with that because I had the outline done. And then after my fight at the garden, my tattoo artist was there and he's a brown belt in jujitsu and was like, dude, I'll do the rest, you know, just hit me just for love. And nice. I was like, there we go. I was like, the spoils of war yeah. are, uh, are no joke. The spoils of, victor of war are, are a real thing. Uh, and I, like I said, I'm very grateful that it all worked out that way. 
So when Odin hangs himself upon the tree of Jasil, he finds all the runes, the, the, the runes of power. Uh, and then he has, when he goes there, he learns that there's more to learn. And the second thing Odin does is he sacrifices his eye for wisdom. So he goes to the well of Mimir. Mimir uh, might be his maternal uncle, might be a different god, obscure to know who Mimir is. But Mimir has a well. And if you drink from that well, you can see whatever you sacrifice into that well, you get all the knowledge from that. So if I put my eye in the well, I can see in every world. Himdal, the guard, the god who guards uh, what you would consider Asgard, the realms of heaven. Himdal puts his ear in there so he can hear in all the worlds. But we don't get to talk about his sacrifice. I'd be fascinating. Actually, you know what? I should pay Himdal a visit and see. Because it's an interesting story. He doesn't get the full story like Odin gets about going to the well and sacrificing the eye. But Himdal's ear is there. Unless they're the same god, which they might be. Odin might have many aspects. Odin might actually be a, a multitude of gods. He calls himself also the many-faced god. Uh, in one of the sacred Odinic texts, he gives a list of all his names. Not even all his names. He was like, this is just some of the names I have. He is like, by one name among humans was I never known. So he's a many-faceted deity, which is evident because he's a god of war, life, death, runes, magic, poetry, sorcery. Uh, he has another aspect, Harbard. Harbard is the god of lovemaking. His aspect, Harbard, comes when uh, someone needs sexual healing. So he would come as that. Or if he needs to uh, have a son, right? But if he needs to procreate, he'll come as this god, Harbard. And... He has good stories as Harbard. He has good stories as Harbard. There's a good, um, in Grimner's tale, he, uh, he, he pretends he's the ferryman. He calls himself Harbard. And he has an interaction with Thor. And Thor comes there and he's talking about all this badass shit he does. Like, I killed this giant. I killed that giant. Odin's like, I was banging these nine sisters. He's like, it was fantastic. He was like, he was like that I, uh, he's like, I stole this dude's, Wife got her pregnant. You know, he like tells some crazy shit as Harbard. I was like, yes. So Odin's a little bit of a wild god. Uh, it, sometimes what he does doesn't make sense till after. I've had some instances I won't talk about on the podcast. But Odin can sometimes make things happen that, like I said, only make sense afterwards. Like, oh, that's why all that shit happened that way. Now it makes sense. But when you're doing it, you're like, I don't know about this. So Odin sacrifices his eye in the well, and then he can see in all the worlds. The third thing he does is he gets the mead of poetry. So there was a giant named Vasir. Vasir is killed, and the dwarves from his blood ferment the mead of poetry. Anyone who takes a sip of this mead will be gifted with amazing oratory skills. In fact, the best poet in the world. Just one drop of the enchanted mead. But this enchanted mead is heavily guarded. A giantess, Gunlud, guards the mead deep in her father Satung's hall. 
Now it's a multi-layered process to get this meat. Odin can do things no other god can. You can't imagine Thor getting the meat of poetry. He has one tool, his hammer. Odin has many tools. He goes to the brother of Satang, and Satang's brother has a field of servants. And these servants are, you know, they're chopping down wheat. And Odin in disguise sharpens one of their scythes. And when he sharpens that scythe, all the grain just falls effortlessly. And then all the other thralls are like, yo, give us the stone. He's like, yeah, take it. And he throws the stone in the air. And they all kill each other for it. So he walks up to the giant's house and he's like, oh, I see that you need help. All your dudes are dead. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know. I was walking on the road. All your guys are dead. He's like, I'll do the work of nine men. I'm in good shape. And the giant's like, oh, well, if you do the work of nine men, like, what do you want? He's like, I want you to take me to Sultan's feast, your brother's feast. I heard that's next year. I want to go. He's like, well, if you could do the work of nine men, sure. <laughs> of course he does the work of nine men. He's Odin. He takes him to Sultan's hall. He tries to scumbag Odin. Odin eventually gets down to where Gunlet is. And then he has to bang that giant bitch for three nights and three days. Makes her fall in love with him. And then steals the meat. And then Satan goes to chase him. And Odin makes it back to Asgard. But to, to carry the mead, he turns into an eagle. And he puts it in his beak, the mead. And all the drops that spill on earth as he flies away is the human share. That's the poet's share. That's what we get. So those drops, when you have a great poet, they say that's from, from that. But really, it's metaphorical. right? All this is metaphor. I love the stories, but as a practitioner of these ways, I understand that it's all about energy. So all we're telling here is a story about transferring energy, how we utilize energy, um, how we access that energy through uh, symbols like the runes. So Odin's stories, if you actually, all the myth, if you actually know what you're looking for, is very deep. I'll give you one you probably never thought of. Okay, Thor. What's Thor the god of? Thunder. Okay. Lightning thunder. Okay. That's electricity, right? Very interesting. Thor is the protector of Midgard, correct? He, he protects the earth, Thor. Hmm. The god of thunder and electricity protects the earth. From the forces outside the earth. Well, the earth has a magnetic sphere, right? Now, you're telling a powerful story here about Thor, the god of lightning, thunder, right? And then you have a magnetic sphere around the earth. Very closely related. He also tells a story about how you conduct electricity. Thor has iron gloves, right? Iron's a good conductor of electricity. He has to close the circuit. He has a belt, Megengardir, right? He has to close the circuit in order for that lightning to come through. Without those things, it's not happening. So he, so, so Thor's story to your ancient ancestor who was of an occult mindset, it's a cute story for your kids. It's a powerful story for adults, but it's a sacred handbook for the initiated. So there's a veal of initiation. Once you're initiated, right, once you know these things, think about it. The Vikings sailed to fucking America. I mean, they had some advanced knowledge just to make it here. I was taking my kayak out the other day, and the water was a little rough. And I'm in a kayak going uh, maybe a mile. 
and the water was rough. And I was like, shit. And then I'm thinking, these guys are sailing across the Atlantic. No, we say they had no navigation, but they had to know some shit. And a lot of these things get lost to us. So we don't know how advanced ancient peoples were. You know, we can only guess. If in 5,000 years you find a cell phone, you won't be able to charge it. It's just going to be a hunk of fucking metal and glass. And you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, oh, look, it's like a mirror. These people were really vain. You might be right. We are a little vain. However, it's hard to know that this thing actually turned on. You won't have the things to turn it on. You'll have a totally different power source. You won't have the fucking plug for it. That shit's going to evaporate. Elect you know, the way you manufacture electricity might be totally different. There might not be outlets anymore in the walls. Now, you can't fucking charge this phone. You find this artifact? What is it? I don't know. It looks like a piece of glass. You can't charge it. So we have no idea about how advanced our ancestors were. However, when I break down these ancient stories, it goes a long way into me believing that our ancestors were actually way more advanced and understood very high-level concepts like a magnetic sphere on the earth, right? Electromagnetism is a force. So they understood electromagnetism. They knew that uh, the power of the sun had to be deflected. And they say there's both a shield in front of the sun and Thor protecting the earth. So our ancestors knew, well, there's something that's protecting us from that. Very fascinating to me. And there's a lot of this in mythology. So when I start to break apart the myths, I have to take the sacred occult knowledge and understand that it's separate from the myth. Even though I love the actual story, they're so good. You know, the actual story is great. However, it's telling us a very powerful concept. You know, um, Odin sacrificing an eye. I mean, really, just a method of sacrifice. It's like, who hasn't had to sacrifice for the things they've wanted, right? If something's meaningful. Uh, fasting, how, what a powerful process that is to get you in touch with your spiritual side. The more you fast, and if you think about all ancient uh, prophets, don't they all fast for a long period of time? Muhammad gets the Archangel Gabriel after a month in the cave. Jesus has to go to the desert, although don't get me started on the Jesus mythology. It's highly doctored. It's tough. I'm a Roman historian, uh, so it gets a little dicey when you actually look at the the texts, especially when the stories that take, like Odin's story, hangs on the tree and Drassel pierces himself with a spear. Well, you've heard that before, right? Doesn't Jesus get pierced with a spear and hung on a cross? Although the Romans did love crucifixion. Loved it. I don't know why. It looked. I guess it looks badass uh, when you want to deter people from revolting. So some of the first instances of uh, crucifixion is when they kill Spart Spartacus's crew and they crucify them and line them up along the road to Rome to be like, yo, this is what you get. So it's kind of a, a badass way, a really savage, evil way, really, to, to make an example, right? Because you can see them. They're on this fuck. They're on the cross. Uh, and, you, and it's a shitty way to die, too, because you suffocate. Your lungs fill up with fluid and you suffocate. And Odin gets through all that and makes it. So there's a, a historical Odin and then there's a mythical Odin. So it becomes difficult to separate the two. And I think this happens a lot in, in mythery. That you have a historical thing coupled with a mythical thing. Like the Trojan War. 
And this is where Snorri Sturlingson, the foremost poet of the Icelandic and Viking era, even though he writes a little after that era is over, he has the best resources to put it together. And he claims Odin in his physical form as a Trojan prince. And when Troy falls, Odin, of course, has to wander. He says Aeneas is Thor. Aeneas, the founder of Rome. He, he conflates him with Thor, maybe. Uh, he says Odin was a Trojan prince that then winds up in Norway, maybe. So the actual history, super hard. It's really, like I said, if I don't know, in 100 years you won't know what that phone is. I'll give you a good one. How old are you? I'm 30. Okay. Do you re- so you remember CDs? If I give you a CD right now, could you play it? Do you have a CD player handy? Probably not. Right? No, I don't think and that, that technology is only 10 years removed. Right. 10 years ago, I had CDs. My computer now don't even come with a CD player. It always just do. And that's for a, t- a technology only a decade removed from the cutting edge. Imagine 200, 300, 500, 2,000 years, 3,000 years. Now what does it look like when I try to go into the past and find the evidence? You know, it's a frustrating thing about being a historian that it's very difficult to actually know. And we're really crafting a story based on what we're finding. And we have no fucking clue if we're right. It's very tough to tell. I mean, even Julius Caesar thought that... um, the way that the Germans caught moose was to wait for them to sleep against the tree and then cut that tree. And he was looking at these guys, contemporaries, observing them. So it's kind of weird. So when you see even contemporaries looking at things, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I always think, you know, if someone finds our world, are they going to find all the golden arches of McDonald's and think that we were controlled by them? Was that our religion? Look at all these golden arches. So many of them. Maybe these were portals. Maybe they teleported maybe it was aliens like that ancient alien show everything's fucking aliens although i think we're the aliens i think we're yeah. alien to this planet because of the way we fuck it up so it very well might be i mean as you say it's so hard to know these things that happened in the past to try to figure it out like you said we're, we're basically making stories <laughs> as you know history is written by the victors so you know i think for one the vikings uh have have just gotten such a, a bad rap um by the people that ended up conquering large portions of the world, you know, kind of painting them as these vicious, barbaric uh, sort of people, which of course they were at times in war and things like that. But they were also, I mean, they had art, they had history, they had science, they had all this knowledge and, and beauty that comes with it as well that often gets just swept under the rug of, no, these guys with horns, you know, drink beer and, and pillage. Yeah, and that's one aspect, but... That's like a profession. Those dudes were mercenaries. Usually what you want to do is... You know what I look at them as? Almost like a merchant marine. They really want to go trade. They would love to find some land. Because... (laughs) I was trying to explain this to someone that Norway became overpopulated during that time. And they were like, well, what's overpopulated? I was like, there might have been 3 million people. They're like, that's not a lot. I was like, it is when you're in Norway and there's no fucking food. So those guys have to go out. And all they want is really a little land to be able to trade some goods. And, you know, yeah, sometimes you got to fuck shit up. And I always wonder, um, you know, how those interactions looked originally. But, yeah, normally they'd want to trade. Even if you think about Normandy, 
Normandy was given to the Vikings so that they could have a piece of land and help protect France from other Vikings. So really, if you can get them to settle, they just want to settle. They just want to farm, settle down. There's no room. And they always are getting into fucking beef in Norway too because you got a bunch of alpha males and they're always, they, they get into a lot of beef. And then they wind up getting exiled. If you ever read Edgel's uh, saga, he's fucking killing everyone and always getting exiled. That guy cannot swallow his pride. He's like, fuck it, I'm gonna kill this dude. He kills his first guy at six. He's six years old. He's like, fucking stepped on my foot. I bashed his head in with an axe. So yeah, you might have some some hard motherfuckers out there, but you got a hard time. You know, we're all, these are a bunch of hard dudes. So yeah, there's gonna be Viking raiding and pillaging, but I'd say for the most part, it was mostly trading. Um and then a lot of craftsmanship. Viking shipbuilding. Dude, they tried to recreate this Viking ship I went to go see in Mystic, Connecticut. And they, they sailed it from Iceland to Connecticut. And they had to use an actual motor. They, they, and they couldn't fucking replicate it. They, I was like, all your modern technology, you couldn't make the ship right. So obviously, their technology was advanced enough that they could make this ship. No engine. Sail it across the Atlantic, not get messed up. And this, this ship, it got messed up. You know, it's they had to put a, a bathroom in the bottom. Like, where'd these guys pee? I was like, you hung off the side and took a shit. They're like, no. I was like, yeah. I was like, these dudes are in shape. You can take a shit hanging off the side of the boat while you're going. I was like, these are fuck. Think about it. They would row across the Atlantic Ocean and then get off and fight. You're talking about a very fit, very hardy people. I mean, think about a crew athlete who's also a pro fighter. Imagine you had a guy who's an Olympic crew athlete, you know, and then also a pro MMA fighter, right? Or I guess it would be weapons fighting. They have a, a, a wrestling style called Glima. Still, I think it's the Icelandic national sport, Glima. Uh, and that looks, it really looks like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's what it looks like to me. It really looks like jiu-jitsu. There's a couple trips in it, a couple subs. Uh, you could win by pin, I think, or throw. So grappling arts, there's only so many ways you could grapple. Uh, and they have like a little, some certain styles have straps. So like, uh, like judo has like a belt, right? You just have a belt. They would just have straps. It would be like no gi, shirt and pants, and then a belt around your waist and a belt on each leg. So you had grips for throwing. So there's an Icelandic uh, national sport of glima. So they had a lot of unarmed training methods, arm training methods. And normally, yeah, they don't really, the Vikings don't really have a great standing army system. It's not like ancient Rome. So, uh, you know, one of my friends was, one of my uh, clients went to West Point. So he loves military history. And uh, he was like, as an army, how are the Vikings? I was like, even though I love them, they're not the greatest as an armed military. They're great individual warriors. Like a hero. They're great heroes. Individual warriors, they're great. However, as a unit, they probably had some tactics. If you had a good king, you know, they do the wedge, what they call the swinehead. They have a couple tactics, but they're not like a Roman legion, which is well regimented, you know, eight people in a in a contaburnum, eighty people in a in a century, X amount of centuries. In a cohort, X amount of cohorts in a legion, X amount of legions in a consular army. Uh, this many general, you know, they're not formed like that. They just don't look that way. The Romans are very well organized. 
So it's not like a Roman army. But they love these guys as mercenaries. The Byzantine Empire has the special forces, the Varangian Guard. And those are all Vikings. The Varangian Guard are all Vikings. They're a great special forces unit. But you wouldn't want your whole army of special forces. That almost defeat. Then they're not special. And it's really hard to find that many well-trained guys, too. No, that's that's fascinating. <clears throat> you know, I think part of uh, what draws people to the, the Icelandic and, and Nordic sort of traditions is just how fascinating they they are and how entertaining they are, like you mentioned with the myths and the stories. You know, kids find them entertaining for one reason. Um, and like you said, adults can find them entertaining. And then add on to the fact that they do contain so much information, it's... Uh, it, <coughs> It's just a stark contrast to some of the other dis, um, some of the other religious traditions out there, where you know you you think of going to church or something like that, and you think of this maybe this boring room where you're being lectured on, on a story that you know is really not entertaining to a six year old. Right? You throw in some giants, you throw in some uh, magic powers, and some giant wolves that want to eat you, things like that. All of a sudden, you got that kid's attention. And that, that is, I think, key to the popularity that these, uh, these traditions have seen. Um, and, and I think it's growing. Um, you know, I've, I've, we had another guest on the podcast, uh, Joseph Hughes, who is a, uh, a functional uh, fitness um, guy. But he also follows some of the Odin traditions. He's, he oh. follows more, I think, of Thor than necessarily Odin. But Thor would so be the most widely, Thor would be the most widely worshipped god. Uh, for yeah. Norse pagans. He's the most widely worshipped. He's a very easy god to worship. He's like. Very simple to worship. You know. Be honest. Strong. Brave. You're good. Odin asks all kinds of crazy shit of me. You know. That I might not understand. Odin's a different type of deity. Odin is only really worshipped. Uh, he Even though he's the head of the pantheon. He's an anomaly in several ways. He's the only psychopomp. The only god of the dead who's the head of a pantheon. But he probably supplanted Terra later in the myth. Until then, the, the, the Romans say Odin is Mercury. So they don't put him as the head god. But he probably assumes that role later on. He has his own transformation as a deity into the head of the pantheon. And you would only really worship Odin if you were a sorcerer, uh, a, a ruler, um, if you did the runes. Maybe a poet, a scald, would worship Odin. But the average person didn't. You know, the average person worshipped, of course, venerated Odin because pagans believe in many gods. They would, you know, worship Odin, but they didn't follow him as the main as their main patron. Most Vikings would have followed Thor as their main patron. Right? He's way easier to understand. You don't have to do the runes. You don't have to do divination. You don't have to do any healing arts. You know, you don't have to be ready to fucking die anytime. You don't have to do all this shamanic journeying. Part of my spiritual practice is also shamanism. So there's a huge shamanic element for the Odinic path. Uh, what does he say? He practiced uh, uh, art called Saed on the Samsi. Samsi, the Samoyed people, are where the reindeer are. And he practiced all these shamanic rituals with these people there. So Odin's path is a very occult path. 
Uh, so he wouldn't have appealed to your regular farmer. Thor appeals to the farmer. Your average dude's a farmer. Thor's the god of lightning, thunder, and by extension, rain. You worship that guy all day. You're like, please, I need some rain for my crops. Right, he's a very easy god to worship. What am I asking Odin for? I would love a transformational experience that could totally destroy me. But if not, will totally make me better. Even if it fucking ruins all this shit I had worked on. Oh yeah, that's really appealing. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not as appealing to the average guy. Uh, but for me, the way I'm built was the only way to go, really. And Odin does have sacred warriors. So in mythology, your shock troops would be Odin's sacred warriors. And he has two types. A berserker, and you've heard that before, right? A berserker, we get the word berserk from it. Uh, and they would either be that, maybe they, because they assume the aspect of the bear. So there's a berserker. Uh, or it could be because they, they went bare-chested. Either one is fine as the translation. And an Ulf Heidnir. Ulf Heidnir is like a wolf warrior. A little bit different. I'd be more of an Ulf Heidnir than a Berserker. Berserker's all like a shock troop. They're like a tank. Ulf Heidnir is more like a Delta Force. Right? They would be more in a group dynamic. More skillful. Uh, the Berserker would be more of like a shock troop. Battle axe. Fucking shit up. Throw 20 of those dudes at the army. And then you follow behind them. Wolf Heidnir would be more like snipers, setting shit up, and approaching the battlefield that way. So of those, so Odin does have sacred warriors. Um, and usually the sagas are related to these Odinic warriors. Needy. <laughs> we're, we're about a, uh, an hour in right now. I'd like to um, kind of hit you with some rapid-fire style questions. Uh, <coughs> sure. Your answers don't necessarily have to be rapid fire, but uh, the questions are some common questions that we ask kind of everybody just to kind of get an idea of how your spirituality actually impacts your training um, in like a, a literal sense. So, um, yeah, if you're open to it, i uh, got about maybe eight or nine questions here. Let's do it. Cool. Um, okay, so the first question is, um, what rituals or ceremonies do you engage in before training? And do they differ from ones you, you may practice before a competition? So yeah. is there any sort of like, tradi you know, things you, you rituals? Before every, every training session, um, I just keep it simple. Sign of the hammer. Looks like the sign of the cross, but it's the sign of the hammer. I was, I'm on the mat the other day. And uh, before we go to start, you know, I just made the sign of the hammer and I hit the mat. And uh, afterwards, one of my friends, he's like, I thought you were pagan. Why are you making the sign of the cross? I was like, it's the sign of the hammer. <laughs> he laughed. He was like, okay, fine. And uh, then I'll trace several runes. I'll, I'll invoke several runes. I invoke Tur twice. Uh, then the rune for success, protection, and wisdom. And that's pretty much my daily. That's every, pretty much every training session. Before competition, man, I could get very deep with the rituals so ritual practice beforehand could be a daily occurrence uh with a lot of visualization and manifestation work where i see the outcome of the process and put the runes into it when i'm in the cage uh you'll see i get down when i get into the cage i get down on one knee i trace 
uh, certain runes. I'm not going to tell you which. That's particular to me. So I trace certain runes. Uh, I ask Odin to throw his spear over my opponent so I may claim him, if that's his will. And that's about it. But all during my training, I, I ritual all the time. Uh, but yeah, right before regular practice, sign of the hammer, couple runes, good to go. Um, before major competitions, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ritual experience. There might be fasting. Um, there might be um, you know sanguination. It might be bloodletting. Depends. See what the gods say. I like it. Cool. Okay. Do you carry um, any totems or symbols with you into training or competition? Uh, you already talked about the runes. Yeah. Do you, I, do I you... carve a runic symbol and I put that in my shorts. So I'll okay. enchant a runic talisman. And you know, like the shorts have like a little pocket on the inside. I'll put that in the little pocket. And then I usually like to put the helm of awe on my shorts. The, the, I, 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 the Helm of Awe, the Aegis Hammer. Uh, there we go, good. So, uh, and I'll put that on the shorts also. So, like, And do you carve a new rune for like each each fight or each yes. competition? Yes, each fight, new rune. New rune enchanted up to it. So it might not just be one enchantment of it. It might be a, a daily, weekly enchantment of this particular rune. Um, does your... Your religion or spirituality elevate uh, any specific numerology in any way? And if so, how does this manifest itself in your sport and athletic discipline? So an example would be like, you know, in uh, Christianity, maybe the number seven holds special significance yeah. and somebody chooses that as their, their football number or yeah. something like that. So, so you know, several, several sacred numbers. Uh, the two most sacred, eight and nine, would be the two most sacred Odinic numbers. So... That's why, like, I sparred eight days out. So sometimes I'll like to do that. I'll spar either eight days out or nine days out. So I like to keep that. Um, if I set up my training camp, I want either eight or nine weeks. I like nine weeks, personally. Nine being nine nights, Odin hung on the tree of Drassel. Um, nine conflated with eight also, like... Odin has a ring called Draupnir. Every eighth night, it produces eight copies of itself. The runes themselves are organized into three rows of eight. It's here, they're called. So eight and nine wind up being the most sacred Odinic elements. Me personally, 13 is the lucky number for me. So that's just me personally. Not not really Odinic, but for me personally, 13 is a lucky number. Um and I really eat nine three also because three by three is nine so that as a as the permute not a permutation because no no three times three is nine yeah that would be a permutation yeah so um so nine uh, probably the most sacred odinic number uh and eight there's uh eight dimensions eight directions Sleipnir has eight legs Although that's probably a metaphor for four dudes carrying your body, eight legs. Could be a metaphor for that. Uh, or, you know, that's why Odin is conflated with Santa Claus a lot. Right? Santa Claus has eight reindeer. Sleipnir has eight legs. Odin uh, takes a lot of mushrooms. Santa Claus's whole outfit is essentially a big mushroom. 
So he's essentially a huge Amanita muscaria mushroom. So you can conflate these. Odin would have been, uh, well, Santa Claus would kind of be a Sam C people. He has reindeer. The Sam, uh, the Sam C people raise reindeer. So those myths can get conflated. So yeah, eight and nine, very sacred. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. That's that's really cool how you even uh, put that into your your fight camps as far as um, number of weeks and how many days. Days out, nine weeks. <laughs> I'm a little crazy with that, but it's been working. So all no, that no. stuff does really uh, faith gives me focus. Yes. So my faith gives me a lot of focus, whether even if it's not true, it ought to be. But no, even if it's not, it gives me a great focus. And I feel and then, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just hit on something, which is, you know, what we're driving out with the, the, the point of this podcast is to figure out, you know, there is a, there is an interconnection between fitness, competition and spirituality, but it's, it's trying to figure out exactly what, and I think faith, you know, you're, you're just, this is bringing up some stuff for me where, where faith is maybe that interconnection. You need faith in spirituality. You need faith in religion. You also need faith in competition. If you don't go into competition with faith in yourself and your abilities, you know, it's not going to work out for you. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. Right. One there. of my so. friends, his kid plays baseball. And, uh, I was telling him that one of the main things that you need is, you know, a system of belief. And he, and he's young. He's like, how do you believe in something that's not true? Like the gods. I was like, that's funny. I was like, we don't know that. I was like, but let's say they're not. You could believe in yourself. Maybe not yourself now. Believe in the better version of yourself. That could be a belief too. He was like, oh, okay. I was like, your belief can just be a belief that you can improve. Right? You're able to take yourself out of right now and believe in something a little further on. So just a pure belief in yourself can be very powerful. Um, okay, next question. Is there a book or tome central to your religion or spirituality? And if so, do you have... A, a favorite passage maybe from that uh, you mentioned a couple books earlier but sure. i don't know if those are central or yeah i would go with the whole poetic edda but really uh odin has a book called the havamal so the poetic edda has a bunch of stuff in it um the havamal is it essentially translates as the sayings of the high one and that's like i said first it starts with um just proverbs Right? It's just a book of Proverbs, like uh, the shit I put up on my page. It's like, um, you know, where wolves' ears are, wolves' teeth are near. Uh, stuff like that. Hold on, what do I got marked down in my book? What have I been on today? Uh, I don't know why I have this flagged, but um, it's a great detour to a bad friend's house, even though he lives close. But to a good friend, the ways lie straight, no matter how far off he may live. Just about being a good friend. So the first half uh, of the Havamal, Odin is a wanderer, a traveler. It's really just good advice for, for travelers. And hospitality is one of my core values also. Uh, so there's a lot of things that happen wrong when you don't have good hospitality. You don't know if the gods are there. That stranger that came to your door could be a god in disguise that you just dissed. So Odin always questions against this. So a lot of his sayings are based on um, being a good guest and then being a good host. I, have, I don't know. I got a couple things flagged here for recently. Oh, cattle die, kinsmen die. 
we must also die. But I know one thing that will never die. The glory each man achieves in his life. So you could tell how for a warrior, right? That shit is so fucking epic. He's like, listen, we're all going to die. But what are you doing while you're alive? The glory of your life will never die. No, just that energy that you put out is meaningful. The work that's done is meaningful. Even after you're dead. That energy is there. Right, that energy's there. So it gives me a lot of a lot of positive reinforcement. And then I have a couple runes flagged. So always important because Odin tells he, he tells how he uses the runes. He just doesn't tell you which runes he uses. So he'll say, like, I know a third rune, which is very useful to me, which controls my enemies. The edges of their weapons I can blunt, and neither weapon nor club will bite for them. So when you have, then you have to investigate. What is the rune he's talking about? And that's where the study comes in. He doesn't tell you the rune. He tells you what this rune could do. He doesn't tell you which rune it is. So then you have to find that out. I know uh, in 11th. If I lead loyal friends into battle, and this rune I always chant, I got kid, I got two, two kids. I call my kids, and one of them was like, he's like, yo, they, they call me pops. They're like, yo, pops, can you fucking bless my hands? And I was like, yeah. And I, I blessed his hands. I carved the runes on his hands, and I was like, now you have to honor the gods. And uh, he was like, yes. And they just felt so gangster after I did that. They were like, I was like, now you have to honor the gods of war. <laughs> they were like, yes. That's amazing. So every, it, every kid wants to hear a young, young guy, kid, you know. Yeah. The 22-year-old kid. This fucking 41-year-old fighter. I'm like, I carved the runes on his, on his hand wraps. And I'm like, praise the gods of war out there. They're like, yeah. I was like, honor the gods of war. So I told them. And what's fucking crazy. Oh, my God. I, my guy, fighter. How? First of all. My, my kid fought a, a guy that was being blasphemous against my own god. He gives himself the nickname Son of Odin. I was like, no. And then afterwards, I told him, I was like, Odin chooses the victory, not us. And the guy's fucking half knocked out. I'm, my kid won. I go over to this guy on the stool. He's all fucked up. I was like, Odin chooses the victory, not you. And I was like, praise Odin. I'm out of my fucking mind. But uh, yeah, I found it very blasphemous. Because I have a nickname. My, my fighting nickname is the Manimal. I only call myself the son of Odin really to myself, you know, because who the fuck would give you that nickname? A nickname has to be earned. Like my nickname's a battlefield nickname. I'm in a fight. Fucking guy gets me in a choke. I'm like, I'm fucking gritting it out. I'm making all these weird sounds. Then I turn it around on the guy and now I'm fucking all over him. And afterwards, my coach was like, you're like a little, like a little man animal, like a manimal. And my boys were like, oh shit. That, that's it. That's your nickname. And it just always stuck. I mean, I run barefoot in the woods. I'm hairy. <laughs> I love animals. So, you know, it just was perfectly fitting. But it, it's on the battlefield. You earn that nickname. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, next question. Does your uh, spirituality impact your dietary choices? And if so, what way or how has it affected your physical performance? One thing I find fascinating about this is like the idea of fasting, which you talked about a little bit. Um, but also, like, is there any, any foods that you try to consume or avoid consuming? Uh, so, 
I, I do like fasting for spiritual practices. Um, I'm not much of a drinker, but I drink mead for rituals. So for ritual, I'll drink mead. Otherwise, I'm not really a drinker. I'm more of a pothead, personally. Uh, and as far as food choices, no, not really. I mean, I do like a lot of meat. Although Odin says he lives on meat alone. He gives the, the meat to his wolves, Freki and Gary. So if I was going to completely follow the Odinic path, I'd actually would just drink. <laughs> Maybe that's the path I should be following, man. I don't know. Oh, he just, just mead. Just mead. Just, just mead. honey wine. That's it. I think that can't be good for you. I think it's a metaphor for like ambrosia, right? I live on like the nectar of the gods alone. That's what I think Odin is saying. Yeah, I'm not sure if I tried that to live that out exactly if it would work out or not. Probably not. Oh uh, no, I, I probably could ask a couple a couple bums in my neighborhood uh, what their <laughs> diet's like. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, That's true. Are you on a liquid diet? Let me ask you a quick, do you do a liquid diet, just alcohol? <laughs> and we can maybe find that. That could be Odin in disguise, so, I mean, maybe that's why. Sometimes I thought once I was, like, jogging, and there was just some, like, white-haired, bearded dude on the highway, and I went to talk to him, but no, it wasn't Odin in disguise. <laughs> it wasn't Odin in disguise, in fact, but you never know. You don't that's know amazing. what it is, so... Okay. And it's uh, and it's close to and it's it might be Ragnarok now, so all the gods will be here soon enough. Certainly, uh, looking like it might be that time uh, with the way things are going right now and in certain parts of the world. It's listen. I'm in New York City. I'm unvaccinated in New York City. I might as well be a Jew in fucking Germany in 1933. It's very brutal here, uh, and as crazy as it is. I fucking lust for Ragnarok. I can't wait till everything is fucking crazier, even crazier. You know, uh, as cra as wild as that sounds, I mean, you know, I I I follow the Odinic ways. The whole point of the myth is the end of it. So, I'm excited. You know, it's 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 wild. I don't know if you've uh, made it out out of New York at all uh, since all this stuff's going on, but. You know, I've, I, I've recently moved across the country. I was living in Ohio. I'm living in Oregon now. On the way, you know, we did a couple trips back and forth and got to see a lot of different parts of the country. And it is, it's really insane how different. Dude, I was in Tennessee. Yo, I was in Tennessee a couple weeks ago. Nothing is going on there. No. There's yeah, no COVID there. Like in New yeah. York, you would think that I should have died 12 times already. The way people act here, they're so fucking afraid. They've been so Stockholm syndromed out here that they just cannot get past it. And I went to Tennessee and motherfuckers were like, you motherfuckers are crazy. They're like, everything is fine. I was like, you're right. Don't tell me. I was like, but in New York, I can't even go get a drink at my, at the, you know, at the restaurant, at my local restaurant. I can't even go in. You know, I was like, what am I going to do? It's a little too early in the game to start killing everyone. So... <laughs> I'm like, it's a little early in the game for that. Uh, even a couple of my friends went to protest. Uh, you know, the, they reinstituted the mask thing. I went to protest and seven of them got arrested. I'm like, really, guys? Like, out of control. Then I'm in Tennessee. Enough. I mean nothing. No mask, no vaccine, no commercial for it here. The commercials are bought 24-7 by Pfizer. So it's 24-7 advertising. 
in Tennessee. I didn't see one commercial for it. You know, it's like, yeah, the CBS has a sign that if you want to get it, you can go in there and get it in Tennessee. Here, it's like everywhere you go, it's like inundated with that. And the fear level, it's, it's, it's out of control. That's the quote I put up the other day. Ill is the result of letting fear rule your actions. You're a martial artist, right? If you react in fear, you often fuck yourself up. If a guy gets mounted on you and you turn your back, huh, you fucked up. Now you're going to get choked. Because you were scared of getting punched in the face. You gave him a worse position. So what these fucking people are doing out here is being scared of getting the flu is causing them to completely fuck up society, make people sicker. What's the three most important things when thinking about your health? Listen, I've been a coach forever. I've been coaching for 20 years, two decades in health and fitness. And helped all kinds of people, got people stronger, healthier, off medication, all that shit, right? I'm a health expert. Now, if I try to tell someone to be healthier, oh no, it's not going to work. I'm like, stop it. The things that lead to a lower immune system, let's take the top three. Vitamin D deficiency, what do they tell you? Stay inside. Oh yeah, let's make you a more vitamin D deficient. Stress, 24-7 stress now about this shit. Now stress affects your immune system. When I had my gym and I was crazy stressed, I got sick all the time. Since then, thank the fucking gods, I haven't been sick. You talk about six, seven years in fucking the apocalypse out here. And when I was at my gym, I get sick all the fucking time. I was just stressed. I hurt my back once deadlifting nothing just because I was stressed. Stress really affects your immune system. Now you start stressing everyone the fuck out. Everyone's dying. They tell you everyone's dying. Stay inside. We'll never get a handle on this. You're going to need infinite boosters. We're never going to finish this. Right? Everyone's dying. Uh, you know... Of course you're going to be stressed. And then what? Obesity. Look at everywhere we go. In New York, I'm like, these motherfuckers are out here smoking cigarettes, eating, uh, eating Cheetos, and then telling me I'm unhealthy. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then all the ones that are fucking vaccinated are all getting breakthrough infections, even though they say it's rare. My sister-in-law, fully vaccinated, she had COVID bad 10 days. I mean bad. She gives it to my mother-in-law, who is not, and had cancer, has half a lung. She did better than the one that, you know, is young and vaccinated. So there's something to be said there. You know, they're really doing a disservice here. And I would love to see in the future how this is all going to play out. I really wish my next lifetime or a lifetime I can remember is like 100 years after this so I can see the declassified data for all the fuckery going on now. You know, a little bit of a detour there, but... Uh, Sorry, it's, my bad. No, I'm in Ragnarok. For me, this I, is I, Ragnarok I right now. by asking if you had been out of New York. And so, like, I, I'm just glad that, you know, you, you have had the chance to see other parts of the country because, you know, I, I think that's what's fascinating, too. I love that... Honestly, I love that New York is handling it the, the way they are. It's, it sucks if you live there. But we're going to find out what's the best way. You know, Florida, Tennessee, they have an approach, you know... Places like New York, California have an approach. There's a lot of places that are somewhere in the middle, but we're going to see what's the best. You know, it might take 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Best, I'm, I'm not happy about it because my wife got fired from her job as a New York City tenured teacher of uh, 13 years, which is fucked up in a lot of ways. You could be a pedophile, you could rape a kid and kill him. You could kill him too. And you won't get put on unpaid leave. You'll get paid till your trial. 
but because you don't want to take this exp this this thing that's supposed to help you, that shows a lot of evidence that it doesn't. You know, I mean, only by what I get, you know, so we get emails uh, every day from like the Department of Education about school closures, case counts. And now everyone in school is fully vaccinated and cases, closures, school shutdowns. They want to go fully remote. I'm like, I thought you said this was going to fix it, motherfucker. So, yeah, I can't follow anyone. So I talked about congruency. Once you are wrong once or twice, I stop following you. And once I see someone tell me something that don't follow it. Once you break your own incongruency, I stop listening to you. That's that. So I'm congruent. If I tell you I don't believe, uh, you know, if I tell you I am Odin's to take it any time, what does that mean? That means I don't give a fuck. That means I'm out there, I'm congruent with my own belief, whether it's right or not. Whether I'm right or not, I'm congruent with my own belief. So if I tell you I worship a God of life and death and war and all this shit, well, I got to be acting it. And I can't be out there pussyfooting around because I worship a badass fucking God. And I am his representative on earth. I'm almost his avatar. I gotta fucking lead by example here. So how could I act like a little pussy bitch? Impossible. That would be incongruent. And I'm and that's my and that's my second value is congruency. You know, if I tell you train, believe me, I'm fucking training. You know? So once someone's incongruent, once I see like Gavin Newsom out without his mask and he makes you wear a mask well now I'm done with him now I can't listen to you I can't listen to you you're a petty tyrant at that point I take nothing you say if I wanted to fucking get your advice I'd pay you for it and I would call you my coach otherwise shut the fuck up so that's how I run and my number one value is freedom so how can anyone tell me what the fuck to do with my body I'm a professional athlete at 41 years old alright in the toughest sport ever created and you're gonna tell me what to do get the fuck out of here Fucking guys, let me tell you, this shit heats me up. <laughs> I, I totally understand it, man. I, I'm right there with you when it when it comes to some of this stuff. Just the the incongruencies with the the people at the top and yeah, the, make it make sense. I'm okay if it made sense. I would do it. You know, if it was congruent, made sense. Okay, I could be convinced. But if I ask you a question, and you tell me. That I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, you didn't answer my question. That's not the answer. You have to answer my question. That might be true. What you say about me might be true. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. If you say I'm crazy, okay, fine. But answer my fucking question, right? Uh, yo, Instagram, I had to fight really hard to get my Instagram back on track. I put up a video where I just was like, hey, I'm curious, guys. Uh, in an experiment, you have a placebo group, a control group, and a, and a drug group. I'm like, who's the control group? And they fucking took it down and shadow banned the shit out of me. And I had a... Now, if you notice, my page is just fitness. That's it. BJJ, uh, strength and conditioning for guys over 40. That is all my Instagram is now. Because they fucking really affected my revenue. You know, that's my business page. If you fucking shadow ban me and then take my post down, and then I go from 500 likes to 13... You really fucked with me here, guys. So then I, I was like, all right, I'll save that for a different avenue. Luckily, the podcast don't uh, censor yet. Like iTunes doesn't censor yet. Um, Top three values is freedom, congruency, and hospitality. And let me tell you, society's violating all of it, especially hospitality. Hospitality is a big one. 
a very big one. If you violate the tenets of hospitality in the Odinic path, bad news. Not just death. There's worse things. So they're going to have to be careful about all this violation of the hospitality tenants. Uh, it's, a, it's a big, big blasphemy when you violate the, the hospitality oaths. So we'll see what happens there. Exactly. Like I said, you know, I, uh, we're going to find out. And, you know, I know which way I, I think is the right way to go. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a reckoning for everything that you do. Um, so it, whether it comes in five years, 10 years, 50 years, you know, who knows. But there will be a reckoning for the decisions everybody makes during this time. Odin and, says, for everything a man says, he will be paid back. So, let's see. Uh, All right, let's um, let's get to these last couple of questions here, uh, and then we'll, we'll try to wrap it up. But uh, is there a song of worship or praise, something like a psalm or hymn that positively affects your mental state before competition? So, do you do you listen to anything okay. specifically before you go out? Or uh, I'm not a big music guy. I know that might sound weird. Like I work out with no music. Hmm. I, I don't like music when I work out because I'm not going to have it in competition. So I, I'm very into state-dependent learning and in the state of fighting, when you fight, there's no music. So I never train with it. It, it would be uh, a disservice to me to rely on something I won't be able to bring with me. So anything I can't bring with me, I don't use. So as far as uh, hyping myself up, it's not really necessary. I could fight at 100% right now you, you know what I mean like of course for a professional contest I would love to train for it and have a full camp so I could be top notch but as far as just battle I'm ready to go anytime you know I don't need to hype myself up uh walkout song it's not a viking song but I'm from Brooklyn so I love me some biggie nice so when I came out the garden I came out to victory and uh biggie has some dope lines in there he uh there's one line so I used to be, before I started training, I was 265 pounds. I fight now at 145. So I was super fat, unathletic, never trained a day in my life. I was just scrappy, but I never trained. And uh, there's a line in the song where he's like, you used to call me fatso. Now you call me Castro, like now on the top. So I love that shit. But yeah, and then I'm from Brooklyn and he just has like a badass song. He's like, leave you bent real quick, real slick, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm two levels above you, baby. And that's how I felt, too. Like, I'm two, my jujitsu is two levels above this, guys. So, yeah, I love Biggie. So, it hypes me up. It's nothing related to the Viking shit. Although, I love Man of War when I'm just cruising in the car. You know, Man of War has a lot of Viking style songs. They praise Odin a lot. So, I listen to a lot of Man of War. But uh, that's more for like my car ride, you know, than it is for, uh, for pre comp. I'm, I'm an anomaly like that. Most guys are like pumping music in the back and like trying to get hype, and I'm just like, okay, I'll my fucking boy, I'm at the garden. Wait, so I'm at the garden, and uh, I trade with this kid, Kaz. Uh, his nickname's Slaughterhouse, and he's like fucking super hype, 25 year old guy. He's like, yeah, fucking madam, are you fucking ready? I was like, I'm here, I'm ready, and he thought I think he thought he had never shared a locker room with me. I think he thought I wasn't ready. 
And then after he's like, dude, what the fuck? He's like, holy shit. I'm like, I'm fucking good to go, bro. I'm like, I'm good to go right now. I'm like, I don't really need to get hype. I was like, I'm a killer. Like, that's it. Having that, uh, that, that's a great advantage though, to be, to be able to have that ability of just, you know, turning it on or having it always on at any time, not relying on things like that. So I totally get your, you know, your, your mindset going into there, not wanting to train with music. I mean, you're not going to have it in the, in the fight. I don't have it, yeah. Practice like you're going to perform. Yeah. Even like my SATs. I remember studying for my SATs high every day. And, uh, before the SATs, it's like 7am, I smoke a joint outside the high school. My boys are like, but you, you got to take the SATs. I like, yeah, but I've been studying high the whole time. If I go in there sober, I'm going to fuck up. <laughs> and I got like, uh, now I think they do it different. But at the time, there was only two parts. And uh, each part was worth 800 points. And I got a 1300. I got a 790 on the verbal. So I almost aced the verbal. And I had 510 on the math. Math isn't my strong suit. But I still did well. And I got like a 1300. And everyone was like, what the fuck? I was like, that's how I studied for the thing. I was like, what's the movie? They say study high, take the test high. You got to, yeah, you got the way you do it. Yeah. So if you're sober, you have to be sober. You can't start messing with the way you learned it. You know, like one of my boys, he never lost a fight high as an amateur. In the pros, they drug test you. He popped once. He won that fight. Then he was sober for two. He lost those two. Now they changed the rule. I was like, now you're ready to go again, baby. I was like, you're never going to lose now. You never lose high. You know, he's so used because he trains high. I can't. I don't like to train high. I like to be sober because I'm not going to be able to be high in the fight. So I always train sober. You know, so that's after. That's my recovery. So after I'm done training, then I'll get high. But during, never. So because I'm not going to get to have it in the fight. I'm going to be backstage. I'm going to get drug tested. I'm just not going to have it. Why bother? I'm going to get myself used to something that won't be there. Um, all right, last question here for the rapid fire, and then we'll, uh, we'll look to wrap it up. But what place or places come to mind for you specifically when someone would mention place of worship? So, um, you know, this could be one place in specific, specific. It could be multiple places. It's just kind of how you, when you hear places of worship. What do you think? I have my personal altar. So that's like my main place of worship. Then I have a temple in the astral plane that I created. So that's my main temple where I go to. Usually it's by the Helix Nebula, Odin's Eye, right? So you see, you know what the Helix Nebula is? I don't. Hold on. It looks like Odin's Eye. We say that this is where Odin sacrificed his eye. And it's represented by um, this nebula, the Helix Nebula, which is the closest nebula to us. Hold on, I'll show you it, and you'll know right away. You'll be like, oh yeah, it looks like a big fucking eye. But it's really dope looking. Uh, so my astral temple is in the Helix Nebula. It's always fun going there. Oh, wow. That's the Helix Nebula. Yeah, it looks like an eye. Yeah, and depending on the color you get, so sometimes it can look really dope. You know, because the way they make these images is there's different wavelengths of light. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. My... So my, my temple's, like, right there. My, my temple's, like, right there. There's my temple. He's, like, right there on a little asteroid. So... 
But that's uh, so I don't know if you practice any occult traditions, but having a spiritual temple is very valuable. It's a place where I could go do my work in the astral plane and you set up a spiritual temple. I wonder if when I die, I'll go there. I don't know. Maybe. Kind of get that as a rough spot. We'll see. I'll figure it out. I'll let you know if I come back and have the memory of it. Um, okay, so I got to ask and you this then, question. This is just because uh, oh, yeah. you're, you're piquing my curiosity here. When you go to your spiritual temple, is this where you do like your manifestation, visualization type work? Yeah, that's a lot of it happens there. Yeah, a lot of it would happen there because from my astral temple, I'm connected to everywhere else. So then I'll kind of go to the quantum realm. And in the quantum realm, I'll take a step back into like the backdrop of reality and try to manifest from there. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Listen, I might be a black belt in jujitsu, but I consider myself a blue belt in spirituality. Even though to most people, I look like a black belt, I'm not. It just looks that way because you've never trained. Not you, I'm just saying in general. If a person's never trained and I tell them about astral projection, they think I'm a black belt. But I'm not. If a blue belt tells you about an arm bar, it's not like when I do the arm bar. So even though it seems like, you know, I'm at the highest level, uh, it's not always so simple. And, and people are manifesting other things all the time, whether you know it or not. Right? Words are powerful. People are always manifesting things. So if I'm manifesting something that's against what, let's say, the mass of the world is, it's going to be a little tough. It's going to be tough. And it might not look exactly like you thought it would. It might be like the telephone game. That it gets lost as you go, right? I tell you something, you tell this person something. And in the loop, what comes back to you is not exactly what you put out. Close, but not exactly. You tell them, you know, I want gravy on my fries. And it comes back as you have pretty eyes. <laughs> right? So, close, but not quite. So, sometimes manifestations like that. But thank the gods... Uh, the garden manifested perfectly. Except I didn't get to get on the mic. But everything else worked out. Even like my boy went to pick me up over the cage and in my manifestation, I was like, don't fucking put me on the cage and I ran away and I did the same thing in the fight. He went to pick me up. I was like, don't fucking pick me up. I don't like going to the cage. I was like, ah. So the same thing I visualized happened that way. That's amazing. Yeah, We're so now, sometimes... Putting together your, your temple, is this something that you created entirely in, like in your imagination or did you draw it out first... And then, entirely, in, yeah. entirely in your imagination. That's that's, uh, that's awesome. That's really good stuff. Do you really do anything with astral projection? Uh, so I've I've read up a bit on some 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 shamanism and type things and some manifesting. I've, I've had some a few couple bizarre, really intense experiences with manifesting, like like you mentioned there, where things happen almost to a T that I've, uh, you know, thought and visualized for. And so I, I'm fascinated by that type of stuff, which is why I was asking the additional questions there. And, and, oh, you know uh, who's really good for that? Read uh, Joe Dispenza's book, Supernatural, Becoming Supernatural. That's really good. I haven't yet. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. A lot of the stuff I was already doing, but he puts a lot of data behind it. So, like, he'll, you know, register your brain waves when you're astral projecting or when you're trying to heal. Because <clears throat> I do some healing work too. I'm a Reiki master healer and a Feldenkrais practitioner. And um, there's okay. a whole art to healing with the runes that I use. So I do have a soft side to my practice too. I do healing work. 
But it's funny. Sometimes someone don't even realize what you did. This dude fucking tears his knee out in competition. I put him on the side 20 minutes. I work on it. He's like, oh, it's okay now. And then I, I called him out on it the other day. I was like, remember that day you fucked your knee up and I fixed it? He's like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I was like, maybe you're right. <laughs> I was like, that's okay. I was like, you don't need to give me credit. I just do the work because I love it. I don't need the credit. It's okay. You know what I mean? I did the work because I love it. It's okay. I don't need yeah. the credit. I was like, I was just trying to kind of be like, if you need help in the future, you know, but he totally dismissed it. His brain wouldn't, wouldn't um, recognize right. it. Yeah. His brain had to override it. He's like, I don't believe in that shit. Right. But just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it doesn't work. If I go to a tribe in the Amazon and I show them a gun and I'm like, yo, if I pull this trigger, I'll blow your fucking head off. And they say, I don't believe you. Doesn't matter. I'll blow your fucking head off. So you don't have to believe it for it to work. Well, thank again. Thanks for sharing that because that uh, that's going to give me a lot of stuff to kind of research and look into. I I, I have a, a, a spot that I'll re- revisit, you know, I, I think of it as my imagination, but, but maybe it's astral. But I haven't thought about creating a specific place from which to do work. Yeah. So that's, that's really helpful. So that's something. That it's a I'm good spot to do work, and you could keep refining it. Um, for me, I have, like, my center of self is also there. So, like, my center of self, that little energy unit, is there. So it's like a good place for me to go back to. That's almost like my central location. Because even though it's an outer space, I can either project out to there or I can go into there. So I can get there from the inside also and then be on the outside. Kind of like, you know what a Corvus is? Mm-hmm. It's like a Corvus, right? It's like outside and then can, and then goes outside inside. So that's how I, how I think about that process. Uh, but be careful with astral projection right now. Shit is very wild out there. There's a lot of things happening. So if it's your first well, time so, astral projecting, I wouldn't really do it now. I would wait okay. a couple months. Okay, so that, well, that, I don't ask this question. I wasn't, I was going to wait on it, but that kind of leads right into it. So with your, you know, your, your astral projecting in your, your temple, do you have defenses set up around it? Because oh, know, yeah. that's, that's something that, okay. So the so whole temple is defended. The, the whole thing is defended, it. yeah. There's energy around the whole thing, yeah, and runes everywhere. So all the runes of protection infused in the energy, yeah, it can get dangerous out there. Even I haven't been astral projecting as much outside my body just because things are lit. There's a lot of entities coming around Earth right now, uh, so let's see what happens. I don't know if those entities also share a physical form or if they're purely spiritual beings. Hard to tell. If you see me in the astral plane, my body's here on Earth but you don't know that. So I don't know where these entities are from. I don't know if they're purely spiritual entities, purely spiritual, or have a corporeal form as well somewhere, which you would, the traditional term for like an extraterrestrial. Do these entities come both in a spiritual form here? And then is there a backup body to follow? Are they scouting out spiritually? I don't know, but it's looking lit out there. Just saying. Fascinating. Very fascinating. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. No, that's awesome stuff. Yeah, I'm still Um, trying to figure it all out too. Yeah. You know, I'm experimenting. I'm like a cutting edge um, metaphysicist. I'm out there experimenting. I don't have the answers. I just have tons of fucking questions. Tons of questions. 
you know, like I said, where are these, where are these beings? Am I even seeing that? Is it just my imagination? Am I actually leaving my body? How do I corroborate that I did? So I'll have to corroborate these phenomena. So like I was trying to help someone astral project a couple years ago. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to come to your crib. Astrally. Girl lived in California. I was like, listen, I can't get to you in the physical form. I'm going to come astrally. And I'm looking for her. And I wind up in a, in a room. And I see this blonde girl sleeping. And I'm like, okay, that's not the girl I'm looking for. And I'm, I'm traveling around, you know, like one step behind the physical world. And then I find her, and I'm like, uh, I seen uh, something that was purple, and the runes there, and, uh, and then I saw her, I helped her project a little bit, and the next day I call her, and I was like, hey, last night I asked her projected, she was like, yeah, I, I felt something, I don't know what, I was like, uh, do you have something in your room that's purple? She's like, I actually have a dish with the runes in it that are purple, and I didn't know this, I was like, oh, very fascinating, I was like, you know, I, I, when I was trying to get to you, uh, I wound up and I seen a girl. It looked like she had blonde hair. She's like, oh, my roommate is blonde. I didn't know you. I was like, I don't even know you had a roommate. I didn't know. I thought you lived by yourself. And, I, and she's like, oh, my roommate. I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I wound up there. You know, so I have to corroborate these things. It has to be stuff I don't know that gets corroborated for me to think that I actually did anything other than hallucinate. I'm still trying to figure that out. So sometimes it hits. It hits really good. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for just, again, sharing that with us and uh, something I'm fascinated <laughs> about. And uh, maybe we'll have to have some additional discussions off the, off the podcast about it or off to ask you some questions because um, you're, you're getting the wheels turning for me oh, here. Yes. So That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. I'm trying to raise the whole level of the world. So I'm going to leave you with this thought. Okay, Okay, that's fine. So I'll leave you with this thought. I think the main push in the world that I was going to tell you what they're looking to do is to kind of nerf the world. They want to kind of hamstring you. They want to make you lower level, right? Don't question authority. Uh, you know, don't be a savage, right? Conform. You don't want to be better than anyone else, right? You hear this message a lot in our society. Right, um, you get a participation trophy, right? Don't be better than anyone else is what a participation trophy is. We are all participants. We're all the same. And what that will do is lower the level of the world. And I am trying to raise the level of the world. So everyone I train, everyone I come in contact with, I'm trying to make them a higher level. I don't want to have a shitty fucking first level world. I want a 20th level world so that evil people can't get ahead of you. Otherwise, you'll have a bunch of 8th or ninth level evil dudes rule the whole world, the first level uh, schmucks. And I can't see that happening. So I want everyone, and uh, Odin has another group of sacred undead warriors called Einherjar. And at Ragnarok, all the Einherjar come back to Earth to fight. And what Einherjar translates as is an army of one. So everyone is their own army. And that's what I'm trying to do. I want everyone to be so fucking badass that they're a one-man army. Because those are the guys I'm going to need around me when shit really does hit the fan. Well, hey, you can uh, you can count on me, brother, to, to back you up. Because I like what you're talking about. I like the stuff that you're saying. And, 
you know, we need, we need more people saying these things and, uh, getting out there and making our voices get heard. So some of this silliness that's going on right now, we can put an end to it. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Like I said, I just want to make everyone more powerful. I'm not trying to weaken everyone or scare them. I want them to really be in, you know, confident and powerful. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm going to use this for my Manimal Zone too. I'm just going to edit out our down parts. And uh, I'm going to use this as a Manimal Zone episode. I'll just call this Praise Odin. Because I, I, I told Odin that uh, I would praise him every day for that victory at the Garden. I fulfilled a lifelong dream. What I consider my destiny. Thanks to the help of the gods. Uh, they strengthened my limbs. They brought me back to battle stayed my hand from killing myself i can't tell you enough the effect that this spiritual path the odinic path has had on my life if not for the gods especially odin i'd be dead there would be no story to tell you so i'm very grateful and very thankful that i'm here to be able to tell you my story and i appreciate you hearing it amazing brother well i appreciate you taking the time as well uh once again everybody it's the Manimal John. Manimal John everywhere. Instagram's the best, really. All of it's really training content. I'll see if I want to get into any other content, but you know what? My specialty is as a coach. That's what I know the most. Everything else I talk about, uh, other than maybe spirituality, is just my opinion, although it's probably a very good one. <laughs> well, that being said, thanks again for coming on the Spearwad podcast, John, and I uh, hope you have a great Spirit wad, I like that. Spirit wad. You know what I was thinking of doing? I don't know how to though, but in my imagination, I want to do a metaphysical fitness program. Mm. Combining some of the spiritual stuff, like energy work with the training. And especially the steel mace. I get a lot of spiritual work with the steel mace. Mm. Just the flow of energy through it. So, think about it. I don't know if there's anything to be done there, but... If you're already on that track, I'd love to do something with it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk and maybe even uh, get you back on the podcast because I feel like even just the mace, we could talk about that for a long time as well. I love the mace as well. So uh, I'll take uh, you on a journey with that too. We'll, we'll have another conversation at some point. All right. Let's do it. Thank you so much. Awesome, John. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Praise Odin.